Well, I am uh, glad you've joined us for worship. I'm Petey. I'm the senior pastor here. If we've not met, we'd love to connect with you after the service. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, I just want to take a moment and address what I know is heavy on all of our hearts and, and on our minds as we come in uh, to, to this Sunday, but from the events of the past week um, with what's happening in, in Israel and Palestine. Uh, man, I wish I had something brilliant and thoughtful to say. Like, I wish I had a word that was like so powerful that it solved all the problems in the world. Um, I wish I had a, a word that was so clever and, and beautiful that it uh, made you feel like wading through the issues of an awful terror attack on Israel and um, uh, just indiscriminate bombing and retaliation made sense and helped us feel better about it. I, I wish I could explain it or describe it. I don't. I don't have a word like that for you this morning. Um, I do have a word of prayer. I do have a word of grieving and prayer and a word of hope. We worship a God who says that we do not grieve as those without hope. We worship a God of the miraculous. In fact, we're gathered here because we worship a God who uh, came back from the dead. We believe in the miraculous. We believe in the power of God to change history, to change the world, to bring hope out of hopelessness, to bring justice out of brokenness and injustice. We believe in a God who has the power to bring peace. And so my word for you is to grieve, to feel the weight of it, to not be consumed by it, and to turn it over to God in prayer. That we as a church, there is nothing clever that we can say on a Sunday morning in Edina, Minnesota, that's gonna bring peace in Israel, Palestine, we do worship a God who has that power. And so my word for us, my encouragement for us is a word of prayer that we would humbly turn it over to God what's on our hearts for Israel and for Gaza and for all the innocent lives that are caught in the midst of it right now that have been filling our screens for the last week. So I'm gonna pause and just give us a moment to pray as a community to lift those things before God. Holy and loving God, our prayers feel so inadequate. Our grief feels so inadequate. Our confusion feels so overwhelming. But we know that you are a good God, that you draw near to the hurting, that you can do all things. So we ask you to do what only you can do, to provide peace, to provide a way for aid, to provide healing, to help us see beyond ways of violence and into the third way that brings shalom into the world. May you do what only you can do. God, we feel powerless and that's okay because you're powerful. We worship you and love you. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen. If you would grab a Bible, there are a few Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, on your pew Bibles, it's page 1636. We try to spend the majority of our time as a church in worship going through scripture when it comes to sermons that we walk through the Bible together because we believe that the word of God has 
power to transform us far beyond anything clever or wise or creative that any pastor could say. And so we, we turn to scripture and ask that it would do what only it can do in our lives as we seek God's truth in his word. And so uh, over the summer, we spent nine weeks in a letter in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. Uh, we called it a letter, to, a letter to the Church, Volume 1. Today we pick up and we'll get five more weeks in, uh, in the back part of 1 Corinthians and what we're calling a letter to the Church, Volume 2. Not to be confused with 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're still in 1 Corinthians and we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at uh, this together. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter addressed to the early church, the first Christ followers who were gathering in the ancient Greek city called Corinth. And it was written uh, by a man named Paul. Paul is one of the earliest Christ followers. He traveled around starting churches in Greco-Roman cities. Um, and then he was in Corinth. He started a church. It went very well. It grew. It flourished. He was there about a year and a half. And then he moved on to somewhere else. And as he traveled on his missionary journeys, he heard word that in Corinth that there was fighting in the church. And I know that's probably the only church in history where there was fighting, right? Like that's, <laughs> there was fighting in the church and, and he encouraged them. He wrote them these long letters. He wrote them these long letters to encourage them, be unified. Don't fight, be unified around the gospel. Be unified around the good news of God's sacrificial love for you. And so today, we're going to talk about one of the topics that, that he talked to them about when it came to being unified. We covered a lot, a lot of them over the summer. We're going to cover them coming up. But today we're talking about one of the topics where he said, you have to be unified in this area so that you show the world what, who, the gospel, who the gospel is for, who, who the gospel is about, that it's about Jesus, and it's not about the divisions that come up when you guys can't get along. So we're going to talk about one of those topics uh, that's called spiritual gifts. So I want to see a show of hands. Raise your hand if you've ever taken some sort of like a spiritual gift test in your life. Okay, okay look at about half, a little over half of us uh, have taken some kind of a spiritual gift test. If you haven't, don't worry, you're not in trouble. You haven't missed out. We're not gonna make you answer it on the spot. Later in the service, I will give you a link so that you can take a spiritual gift test if you do it for the first time or the second time or whatever. But uh, spiritual gifts are talked about in scripture in different places. Uh, Some of you are familiar with it, some of you are not. But what I want you to see today in our text is that you, every one of you, if you're a Christ follower, you are gifted for what God wants to do in and through you. 1 Corinthians is very clear that if you trust in Jesus, even if your faith is what you would consider small, even if it's a baby faith, even if it's just started, if you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit uniquely gifts you and equips you to experience God's grace in your own life and for you to help others experience God's grace as well. And you might think, that sounds pretty good. I like that. Granted, Pastor, good. Uh, But you have no idea what that actually means for you. Or you might think that like, oh, that sounds like something that's just for church staff. It's just for pastors. Or it's just for like the really, really, really holy people who do this, this, and this and really strong in their faith. But, but I want you to see it's actually for all of us, for every one of us, no matter where we are in our faith, 1 Corinthians 12 shows us the spiritual gifts have been given to you. The question is whether or not you have left that gift in the wrapper or whether or not you've tried it out for yourself. So 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse one, it says this. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, before you started to follow Jesus, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols, to, to, to lower G gods who cannot speak or talk or do anything. Uh, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So pause right there. He's just making the case that no matter your background, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how, how broken your past has been, that if you've come to Jesus, if you've transferred your trust from self to Jesus, that you have been gifted, that no one can say Jesus is Lord without receiving the Holy Spirit, and no one can receive the Holy Spirit without receiving the gifts of the Spirit. Take back up in verse four. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit, the one spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God who is at work. It is the same God who is at work in each and every one of us. So in Corinth, part of what had happened with the spiritual disunity, with the fighting in their church, is that they had become, uh, they had sort of uh, believed that there was a, classifications of Christians, that some people got good gifts and some people got bad gifts, or that some people got a lot of gifts and some people got no gifts, or some people were really profound and they were put up on a pedestal and some were worthless and had nothing to contribute. And what had happened was that the church had become just another place, like many places in our world, where it's a place to prove that one person is better than the other, a place of judgment a place of evaluating yourself based on your efforts and based on the efforts of others. And yet, what the Apostle Paul says is that in the church, gifts are not because of you, they're because of the Spirit, and every single one of them matters. That in the kingdom of God, you are not ranked based on your performance or your skills so when you come in the family of God, no matter how the world sees you, God says you are gifted. You belong to Christ. He has given you the gifts to serve. You have something to offer. And he then goes on to talk about what you have to offer. Pick up in verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, the Spirit's given to you for the common good. Verse eight, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in a different kind of tongues, to still another the interpretation of tongues. So he gives this list and he says, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Not just as you deserve, not just as you've earned, as he determines. So we'll pause there. So there's a list there of different kinds of gifts. 
But if you look in other places in Scripture, if you look in Romans, if you look later in 1 Corinthians, if you look in Ephesians, there are different lists of different gifts. So I think the point we should take from that is there isn't just one comprehensive list we're supposed to look at and go, okay, here are the 10 gifts. Which one is mine? That's not the purpose of naming the gifts. He's going like, some do this and some are like this. He's just giving a general sense that, that God has equipped all of us and all of our equips, all of our gifts are not exactly the same and that's okay because that's how God is working in us. Paul, in this text, is way more focused on the source of the gifts and the purpose for the gifts. That the gifts are given by the Spirit and they are for the common good. And those are the things, when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, they are given by the Spirit and they are for the common good of the church. Now, what I want to do now is fast forward to chapter 14. So if you go forward in chapter 14 with me in 1 Corinthians, and I'm gonna read a few different verses. I'm gonna skip around in the text for the sake of time. I would encourage you to go back later and read the whole chapter for yourself. But chapter 14, starting in verse one, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy." Right, and skip to verse four. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, so that's the second gift, prophecy tongues, edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So we'll pause there. <laughs> I think we're getting into gifts that make Presbyterians pretty uncomfortable right now. Gifts of tongues and prophecy. But he uses these two gifts. He uses these two gifts, prophecy and tongues, as an example of how gifts Spiritual gifts are given to Christ followers for the common good rather than for selfish gain. So he talks about two, he talks about prophecy. And just to help you understand these really quickly, prophecy is proclamation of a message given by God. Prophecy is not like a fortune teller. It's not Miss Cleo. Um, Prophecy is when we're able to clearly declare this is of God and this is not of God. So it's a word of truth telling. And the second gift he mentions is tongues. And now tongues are a private prayer language of love. Now, there are places in the New Testament where tongues are referred to as speaking foreign languages, but what we know is that in the ancient Roman world, there were religions that had these practices that were like these ecstatic, transcendental experiences where their, their, their words and their praise like bypassed their mind, and they had these unconscious experiences of praising God. And that's the kind of thing that he's referring to here, that that was happening with Christ followers in the church. And that there are these two different kinds of gifts that he's juxtaposing against each other. Now, as an aside, <laughs> if I could be controversial for a moment, uh, I'm a Presbyterian pastor. We're in a Presbyterian church. Classically, Presbyterians are what is known as, uh, and I'm going to use a big word, cessationists. Cessationist meaning cease. Like, like Presbyterians classically have believed that the, the charismatic gifts like speaking in tongues and interpretation and prophecy have ceased with the era of the church that we're in. But I wasn't raised Presbyterian. And I don't ever want to find myself limiting what God can do. And so we read about these gifts in Scripture, and there is no clarity to me around that this is the time when these gifts clearly must have ended. So I'm not going to limit how God might decide to gift and use his people, whether it's any Dinah or anywhere around the world. So I'm just going to say that I'm not a cessationist. 
However, I also believe that gifts match the time and culture that you find yourself in. And so it's not surprising to me there's nothing missing in the life of CPC because we don't practice tongues and interpretation. It's just a matter of time and culture and whatever the Spirit wants to do in a time and place. But he uses these two gifts to say that prophecy is about what? Edifying the body. And tongues are about my personal edification, my personal relationship with God. And he goes to great lengths in this chapter to say that for the sake of the body, if that's what gifts are for, prefer prophecy, prefer truth-telling, prefer lifting up in front of the community. Here is what God is doing. He goes on to say that in verse 12. He says, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that do what? Build up the church. And so as you're thinking about what it means to have gifts from God that, that, that grow your faith, they're about building up others as well, that you experience grace and others would experience that grace too. And then the end of this chapter is really powerful. Verse 24, end of this section, sorry. Uh, it says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer, meaning somebody who doesn't know Jesus, comes into worship while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So when gifts are practiced for the edification of the body, it says that, that people are convicted and they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Stop there. And that's what I want you to see, that when we use our gifts for building up the church, it puts the good news on display. A church where people are open to the gospel is a church where outsiders would come in and say things like, God really is among you. And as we preach through a text like this, that's what I want. That's what we should want as a church, that we be unified, not divided, unified around the power of the gospel so that people would be a part of our community and they would come and they would say, wow, God is really up to something. Not because you guys are amazing and you're so clever, but because God is good and he is powerful and he is real. He gifts you so that you might help that happen as part of a local church. That's why he gives gifts to his people. And the, the word uh, in the Greek for spiritual gifts that we see in the text uh, is, is rooted in the word charis, which is the word grace. And so they are literally gifts of grace. The Spirit gives you gifts that you might experience his grace more fully and help others experience it through the exercise of your gifts. And you have to think about it as truly a gift that has been given to you that you might put it into practice. I mean, we all have those gifts that are still hanging in the closet with the tag on. Oh, just me. Okay. Yeah. We all, I remember, sorry, this is such a random story. Uh, we had, a yard, we had a yard sale a few years ago and uh, I was taking pictures of like all the stuff to like put on like social media, like, hey, come to our yard sale. And Ashley's like, you gotta take that down. I'm like, why? Well, there's stuff like our family gave us in those pictures, right? <laughs> I'm sure we all have those things, those gifts that just stay in the wrapper, they keep the tags on, we never put them into practice. Don't let that be true of the gifts of the spirit. 
I think when we have gifts that we don't put into practice, we, we ignore them, we neglect them, they aren't able to do what they were intended to do. We might even end up resenting them, right? We see that gift still hanging up. We're like, oh, we feel bad. We never wear that dress or that coat or whatever, right? Like, if you don't practice it, you can't appreciate it. And God has gifted you so that you might love and serve others and that you might be used to build up the church. Understanding and using your gifts is not about self-fulfillment or self-actualization. It's about experiencing the grace of Christ more fully. So I'm not trying to convince you to like do more for Jesus. Though that might be the thing that you end up doing. I'm not convinced, trying to convince you to like take on a new volunteer role at the church. Though like it could mean more responsibility, it could. But I primarily want you to see that using your gifts is about stepping into the fullness of what Christ died for. That you might know the possibilities of a life with him. Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson once said that the church is the primary arena in which we learn that glory does not consist in what we do for God, but in what God does for us. You are given gifts to build up the church, not so that others can be impressed by like, oh, look how amazing CPC is, look what they've done, but so that we can make space for God to do what only he can do in lives as a part of this church family. I want you to be open to how God wants to use you beyond yourself. I want you to use your gifts so that we would be open-handed to what God has for us. That God would use you beyond yourself, beyond your strength, beyond your abilities, beyond your creativity, beyond how clever you might be, beyond whatever beautiful words you have, that God might use you. These are gifts that are not from you. They are from the Spirit, and God has given each and every one of us. And I wonder how many of us aren't experiencing gifts of the Spirit because we're just holding on to what we can do for ourselves. I want you to live in your giftedness, to live in the power of the Spirit. But I don't think it's about just getting your like spiritual gift bingo card dialed in just right. I think it's about looking to serve others. Start looking to love, serve where you are if you want to know where you're gifted. Pastor and theologian Russell Moore said, in the New Testament, We don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, serve one another, help one another, and in doing so, we see how God has equipped us to do so. The point of this teaching in 1 Corinthians on spiritual gifts is far less about trying to identify your unique spiritual gift and more about the truth that when you follow Jesus, He wants to use you to love and to serve and to bless others. And he has gifted you to do so. If you feel like I'm not gifted, I'm not equipped, I'm not prepared. Yes, you are. You have the spirit inside of you. Do not belittle that. Do not leave that gift on the shelf or on the hanger. God will give you everything you need to experience his grace and to put it on display. But if you want to take a spiritual gift test and see like, oh, how has God uniquely gifted me? How, how might that influence the way I serve and love? Uh, we have a test for you. Uh, you can see that website that you can go to. Uh, it's, on our, it's linked on our homepage right now. And then you can take your phone out and take a little snapshot of that QR code and, and it'll take you to the site. Now, open up the site. Don't take the test right now. 
come on. I mean, you know, if the Spirit tells you to, don't, don't let me stop you. <laughs> now, you'll take a gifts test and, and just know that the Spirit might give you many gifts, might give you one gift, your gifts might change over time, that, that God will equip you and gift you for where he has you in the season that he has you in. But if you're looking to decide, like, how should I serve? How should I engage? How could I love others? I go, start where you are love those around you, serve one another, listen, look for what helps you come to life. What energizes you? What are you drawn to? Where do you see fruit from? If you're living out of the giftedness of the Spirit, we will see fruit that God does in our lives that others would come to life, that others would see his grace as well. You are gifted for what God wants to do in and through you. Just a couple of weeks ago, I actually took a spiritual gift test for the first time in about at least 20 years. And I had to take it because I agreed. I answered an email, an email favor to be an ordination assessor for our denomination. So in our denomination, ECO, um, you know, people want to go through ordination and they need, they need graders and assessors. To, and so I said I would do it. And uh, they said, okay, good. We need you to take all these tests because they put the candidates, the ordination candidates through these tests. And one of them was a spiritual gifts test. So I had to take six different tests and it, great, great use of time. Um, it's like, gosh, it's a lot. Um, but one of them was a spiritual gifts test. And I remember I took, you know, I took the disc and I took uh, EQ test and I took all this stuff and I got to the spiritual gifts test and I was a little nervous I was like, I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, what if I don't get the gifts I want? <laughs> what if I don't get all the gifts? Like, I want all the gifts. What if, what if some gifts come in real low that people think like, oh, you're a pastor, you should have that. I'm not sharing my results with you, by the way. <laughs> and so I think what it taught me was I don't have all the gifts you don't have all the gifts. That's okay. That's the point. It's not about us like we have spiritual gifts and we go from being like, like, like a, I'm a dud and then I have a spiritual gift and I'm like, I have a cape on. I'm a hero. No. We are equipped to be a part of the body, to build up others inside and outside of the church, to experience God's grace. We are given gifts because we need each other. We don't have all the gifts. We all have the gifts though. Right? We all have exactly what we need to grow and to glorify God together. God has given us all the gifts together. I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the gifts. We need each other. And when we learn that we need each other through the practice of our gifts, we're actually learning that we need God because we're learning that we can't save the day. We aren't the hero of the story. You're not the hero. I'm not the hero. We collectively need each other, which teaches us that we ultimately, collectively need God, and that when we see the gifts in each other, when we use our gifts to encourage each other, we see God has given us everything we need to flourish, to know the life that he has for us, to build up this church, to be open to the gospel, that we would receive exactly what God wants for our lives and our church. Let's lean in to the Spirit's work in our lives and open our hands to receive the gifts he's given us. Amen? Let's pray. Holy God, may it be so in us. May we truly open our hands and receive 
every blessing from you, including the giftedness that comes for each and every one of us who have said yes to Jesus. If we have said Jesus is Lord, our faith is strengthened by your presence. Help us to know that, to notice that, to lean into that, to have others that encourage that, that see that in us and call it out. God, would we be submitted to you, reminded of your goodness all the days of our lives, that we go nowhere by accident and we are not unequipped to experience your grace everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.